This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, Show 75. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my fabulous co host, Mr. Brandon Turner. Something wrong with me. <laughs> Something wrong with you? There's a lot of things wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> The whole host, host thing. Yeah, yeah. You and your pronunciations or, you know. Enunciations. Yeah, is that what the word is? Whatever. That is the word, yeah. Whatever. Well, today is number 75. It's a, it's a good episode. It is. We're excited. There's lots of, lots of goodies to come ahead and we're certainly uh, pumped about it. How's your summer going so far, Brandon? Summer? Yeah. You forget, I live in Washington. Our summer doesn't start till like August 3rd and ends like August 5th. It's <laughs> all right. Oh, but spring. Every, everybody, let's let's put out big. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's it's been good. It's been good. We went into a little sunshine. But uh, today, for those Hunger Game fans out there, today is the quarter quell of the Bigger Pockets podcast. So nice. I know we got a lot of those uh, teeny bopper Hunger Games fans. So nice. nice. Yep. Yeah. Well, we're very excited, and and uh, today we've got, uh, as we said, we've got a great show. Before we jump into that, let's get to today's quick, quick tip. tip. All right, today's quick tip is we have an events and happenings forum on Bigger Pockets. And for those of you guys who are looking for alternatives to real estate clubs that might already exist in your area or might want to learn about real estate clubs in your area or any other kinds of events that are happening, check out the events and happenings forum. We'll put a link in the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 75. There you could find out about local meetups, about any other kind of programming that's that's happening local to you. And if there isn't anything that's cool that's happening and everything in your area is an upsell, a pitch fest or, or whatever, and you just want to kind of do your own thing, you can use that to plan your own event as well and uh, let folks know to, to come out and join you. So check out the events and happenings forum on Bigger Pockets. Quick tip. There it is. There it is. All right. So on today's show, we've got a real estate investor from the Austin, Texas area, Mr. John Fedro. John has built a pretty cool niche in the real estate world, focusing 100% on buying, renting, and reselling mobile homes and soon mobile home communities. Uh, he's built a, a pretty good business and life for himself. And uh, John's going to go into some some pretty cool details in the field of mobile homes. Now that said, don't just click off here, guys, because we're we're going to talk about a whole lot more. We're we're not only going to talk about mobiles. Uh, the the second half of the show, we really go into depth on a lot of cool things that any real estate investor can learn from. So if you're sitting there thinking, oh, this is just about mobile homes, what do I care? You still want to pay attention because John's uh, doing a lot of great things and has some seriously good insight into how to build a, a successful real estate business regardless of the niche that you're in. Yeah. Uh, so pay attention. Yeah, pretty much any everything he talks about today can be applied to whether you're doing mobile homes or whether you're doing wholesaling, flipping, rentals. I mean, mobile homes kind of touch on all those things. So yeah, definitely, definitely check out the show. I think you guys will like it a lot. Awesome. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. 
There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com host. As home prices and interest rates continue to rise and inventory levels dip, it's getting harder to find quality flips and wholesale deals. When there's not enough on-market inventory to go around, it's time to start looking off-market. Lucky for you, there are millions of homeowners nationwide who own a property they need to get off their hands. I got two words for you, my friend. PropStream it. PropStream is the leading real estate data provider and recognized as a Tech 100 honoree by Housing Wire for the fourth consecutive year. With PropStream, you can search over 155 million properties nationwide using 120 plus search filters like pre-foreclosure, bankruptcy, pre-probate, failed listings, and more to help you find motivated sellers in seconds. PropStream offers both public record data and an MLS sales estimate that's over 99% accurate to help you get the most accurate comps even in non-disclosure states. PropStream also provides lead automation, skip tracing, and a marketing suite with emails, postcards, and custom landing pages to close more deals efficiently. Get started today with their seven-day free trial and get 50 leads for free. Head on over to www.propstream.com BP. That's www.propstream.com slash BP. Let's well, do it. with that, why don't we why don't we jump in uh, really quickly? If you haven't already left us any kind of feedback, ratings, reviews, or things like that on iTunes, we we definitely appreciate all that feedback. Uh, that helps us out, helps us to get the show out. And uh, once again, if you want more information about anything that we talk about, or if you just want to ask questions to John about the show, biggerpockets.com/show75. With that, why don't we bring him on? And uh, by the way, this there's going to be some there's going to be some tension, guys. You'll you'll find out in a second. You'll find out in a second. John Fedra, welcome to the show, man. Good to have you. Hey, glad to be here. <laughs> Thank you so much for inviting me. Awesome. We're for glad to have you. Third time. Excellent. <laughs> well, yeah, actually, actually, now that you bring it up, this was the second time, wasn't it? This was the, you know, my schedule is so <laughs> here and there. I apologize. How long ago was that? Over that, a year? That was like it, a year ago. And you've dr- been... Yeah, I've been holding on to it a little bit. Yeah. Well, because bigger pockets, they they keep they keep emailing you and hounding you. Get John Pedro on this podcast. <laughs> not quite. Is that not the case? It's not really what, like, that's been happening. When do we have a lull? We can throw yeah. John Pedro in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, well, so John was gonna do a show last year and and it kind of fell apart. And you know, I'm not gonna place the blame on anybody but John, but uh, you know, it was John's fault. So now that he's here, I won't give him any grief about it. 
No, yeah. <laughs> Except for the five other times throughout this. We can we can edit edit this, right? So it doesn't look no, this, like is, this is all staying, dude. Okay. <laughs> all right, man. So welcome to the show. I'm I'm giving you grief, but for those of you who don't know, John actually was uh John's was a longtime contributor of Bigger Pockets on the blog. He'd been writing for us years and years and years ago. He was also a, a speaker at the uh, Bigger Pockets Summit that we had a couple of years ago. And uh, he, John knows his stuff, and uh, we're, we're definitely excited to have him uh, on the show finally. So let's, uh, let's kick this thing off for those people who don't know you, John Fedro. How'd you get into this real estate game? So convincing. Thank you for the introduction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're happy to do it, man. <laughs> Are you coming over a cold? What's going on? <laughs> it was uh, almost uh, 13 years ago. And the short version is uh, I knew that I didn't want to work for someone else. I was doing just one half-assed job uh, after the other. I uh, wasn't a very good employee and knew that there was something better for me. Uh, I was in a few two multi-level marketing businesses that, that never went anywhere. Picked up my roommates. Uh, he had a late night infomercial type of book uh, that was on his bookshelf. I picked up that. I read through it two times in one weekend and thought, you know, I can do this. I had no idea what they were talking about. I didn't even know what a deed was to a, a, a home, but I knew I could do it. I wanted to at least give, give it a try. I, I believed in myself. And uh, that was the starting point. That was the, cat, the catalyst to get to get me out there, start taking action. And, uh, yeah, that's the, I guess that's the, the tipping point of when I got into this business. When, when, when I even learned that real estate was a, a business. Right okay. So yeah, well, you read this book and then, I mean, what, what came first? What was your first action step? I mean, did you, did you immediately go out and buy a property or did you do some research? I mean, what, what happened next? Great. Yeah. So I was tw- 19 or 20 at the time. I think I was just about turning 20. I looked 15. I had very little <laughs> money. A couple thousand dollars. <laughs> Thank you, sir. I know when I go into the get uh, liquor or beer and they don't car- card me anymore, I really get upset about that. <laughs> like, yeah. Yep. Um, they, uh, so I had very little experience, very little capital, very little training, had this book. Uh, went out, did everything that the book said to do. I knocked on doors. I uh, wrote letters. I put out signs. I uh, did everything that they told me to do. I went through my $3,000 life savings very quickly at the time, had nothing to show for it, uh, went to meetings, went to groups, um, just through, through no fault of, of, of effort, being out there every single day, could not we either could not find a deal or could not put a deal together. Back then, when you are very green, it's kind of tough to tell what the what the problem is. Long story short, I didn't do. I, w- I was looking for the same deals that everyone else was looking for. I certainly didn't want to invest in in manufactured housing or mo- mobile homes. I had never lived in one myself. Um, so two months after I got started, with nothing to show for it, I mean, out there daily. Um, again, knocking on doors, being very outside my comfort zone, um, stretching myself, making offers. I could not get a deal. My first deal, um, it, first and second deal, happened simultaneously. Almost uh, one was in a one. One was for a mobile home inside of a park. The other one was for a mobile home attached to private land, and they both happened, like I said, around the same time very, very quickly. So you talked about they're both mobile homes. Maybe we can step back before we get into the actual deals. Why did all of a sudden that occur to you? Why did you think, I mean, mobile homes are not something that most investors jump to. I mean, my parents told me from the time I was born, you know, never buy a mobile home. It, you know, goes down in value and never go up in value. And that's just like the, the lesson that was ingrained in me. So 
Why did that even occur to you that I should go and buy a mobile home? It didn't. In fact, I was so green that I didn't know to ask if this was a mobile home or not. <laughs> I should have. I should have been. The wheels didn't me. give it away, right? <laughs> <laughs> Something's different here. I'm not sure what it is. Well, she the the seller at the time that this was for one in a park. She was only asking eight thousand uh, dollars for it, and at the time, obviously, I that was a super deal for a traditional home. So I. I Immediately, I got, got, I got off my chair, I went out to see it, and I started getting closer to the property, and I turned inside of a mobile home park. And that's when I realized, oh, this is a mobile home. So still having no idea what I was doing, being very scared, very young, uh, I was thinking, you know, how the heck am I going to help this seller? This is an adult that is, you know, she's in a situation where she needs to sell. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. And... To go into sort of the first and second deal, the, uh, I was driving to this park. I was about 30 seconds. I was inside the park. I was about 30 seconds away from this mobile home. And just this overwhelming wave of nausea came over me. What the hell am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm so young. How am I going to help this person? I didn't look good. My car was beat up at the time. Um, so just this wave of nausea came over me, and I had to pull over about 30 seconds from the home. Uh, and I got sick right on the side of the road. And at that moment, I was thinking, what the hell do I do? Do I go home with my tail between my legs? Do I continue to help the seller? I, I know that she's somewhat motivated. She sounds like she needs help. She's a good person. Uh, what do I do? So I went there, breath probably not smelling the best and looking <laughs> like, just like I was. And that was a great deal. I ended up purchasing that deal a short time later. I can go over the numbers or not, yeah, but it yeah, was yeah. wonderful. Why don't you jump in on that? So, so it was $8,000 was what uh, she was asking, correct? Correct. So she was asking eight thousand. She started at over twenty at the time, but I had found her when she was asking about eight thousand. Um, I talked her with some negotiation. Talked her down to three thousand dollars, and that's payable at because remember at this point I used up my three thousand dollar life savings that I had from working part time jobs here and there. But I had used up my full time life savings to market to single family homes. Barely had any money, so the deal that I had to structure with her was three thousand dollars payable as three hundred dollars a month for ten months. So I gave her three hundred dollars that day. Now, what she needed the money for, she didn't really need the money to actually move and leave. So that was fine with her. She uh, she took the money and she left, and I was able to then sell the home for a substantial profit. That I can talk about or not. Yeah, yeah, sure. no, very cool. Okay, so so let me ask you, you're green. You've seen this property. It was listed at twenty thousand dollars. How on earth did you talk her down to three thousand dollars? I mean, that that seems like a masterful uh, move right there. And you're pretty green. So how did that happen? How'd that go about? Great question. This is almost akin to having too much money or having too much credit. On at, at, at your disposal and then making a bad deal. When you have money, you're just going to throw money at a deal. I didn't have money. I didn't have credit at the time. So the deal that I could put together, and granted, I wanted to get the deal for as inexpensive as I could. Obviously, yeah. she's not going to do anything if it doesn't make financial sense to her and vice versa. But ultimately, that's what I could do. That's what I could afford. And thank goodness that I did because the mobile home is worth what it is depending on how you sell it for ca- if you sell it for cash if you sell it for payments if you just rent it out but how i talked her down from let's say 8000 which is what she was asking at the time down to that $3000 mark it wasn't a masterful negotiation it was talking with her and making her understand how i could help her other options that she that she had what i was willing to do what i wasn't willing to do the home needed a couple hundred dollars in in plumbing work 
Uh, but literally that was it. It's a beautiful four bedroom, two bath with a big deck, central heat and air, um, all appliances included. It was gorgeous. And I'm so glad that I did make that deal. And it maybe at that point, some part of it was luck or finding her because that really set the bar for me to understand this is what's possible in this business. If I would have overpaid, which so many people have done, you know, green people have paid for, for, for mobile homes, then it would have taken me a year or more or, or more uh, to get all my money back, in which case I might not still be in this business. So yeah. yeah. So you helped her out of her situation. You gave her a deal. You financed it over t- 10 months. Um, and uh, then you you went out and and sold it for substantially more after fixing this thing up. What what did you end up selling it for? With very little fixing, I sold it the first time for twenty seven thousand and change. That was with payments with I think about thirty five hundred dollars uh, as a move in fee. Really quick, are you renting this out or are you sold actually sold the property? Everything that I. Almost everything that I do now is, and back in the day even, was, was selling. I would collect payments, and I, but the home would be sold day, day number one. I'm not answering phone calls to do a clogged toilet. I'm not, I'm not maintenance. They fix up their home. They own it. They're just paying me. You held the note. Okay. Correct. Gotcha. I want to dig into the numbers. Go over again, if you would, real quick. You sold it for how much, and how much were the payments, and what did that look like when you sure. actually turned on to sell it? Absolutely. So the first time I sold it was for twenty seven. I think it was twenty seven five, and it was thirty five hundred dollars as a move in fee, and then monthly payments of seven fifty per month. That includes lot rent, which was I think at the time three thirty, which include water. Um, so I was cash flowing four hundred dollars plus on that particular home. Plus I had made all my money back with the move in fee from from that buyer. Yep. Again, this is a good looking home. Um, the second time I sold it now for the first four or five years, I was ridiculously green. I didn't pre, I barely pre-screened anybody. Basically, if you had money, if you had a pulse, I would let you into my property. Ridiculous, just ludicrous. And I, and I had 100%, everyone listening, 100% turnover rate. My, the people (laughs) who I would sell homes to go figure. That's, that's not the 100% good turnover rate. That is (laughs) is the 100% bad turnover rate. If you never want to sell anything and want to keep getting your mobile homes or properties back, don't qualify people, um, and put in risky people. So the, so that was the first time I sold it after a couple of years, they had called me, said that they had to bail. So they bailed second time I sold it for, and this, the second time I can't remember, I'll go over my look in my notes, but I, it was like 32,000. And then the third time I find, they only stayed for a few months. The third time I finally sold, it was the time that the people actually stayed in there for the full eight year term. And that was just under 30,000, $38,000 that I sold this home for. Again, with payments, not cash, not bank finance. Are you, you're not collecting anything up front? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I always receive a move-in fee for sure. Okay, so the move-in fee is kind of the upfront. It's almost, it would be akin to the down payment on on the, the home for a traditional house, yeah? Correct. And depending on the condition of the home, when I sell it, that's what I base my move-in fee off of. Okay, so because I, I know nothing about mobile homes and, and, a- and I'm sure lots of other people are sitting here thinking the same thing, right? Why do we care? You know, what's, what's the big deal? But, you know, these are a means to an end. And, and there's certainly, if you know what you're doing, uh, a profitable endeavor in real estate. But I, again, I just want to clarify, when I go and I buy a property, uh, you know, say traditional financing, because it's easy, I'll put 20% down to the bank. And th- then I will make my monthly payments. 
in mobile homes, it's that 20% down, whatever percent your move-in fee is, it's a move-in fee, right? It's, it's the same thing as the down payment. Is that, am, am I confusing that at all? That last sentence you said, no, is, is very accurate. When, when we go to resell a home, um, that is what I call a down payment is a move-in fee, correct? Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Because you are acting as the bank. And so they put a down payment. You're carrying a mortgage. You write up a note with them. I'm assuming you go through that same process. Is it all the same as a regular house then? Great question. On land, very similar. Typically, I lease option for a year or two before I go ahead and switch over to owner financing. Okay. Um, again, and then on in a park, no, it's different. With new laws that have come out earlier this year and for the past, past few years, um, we do not write a mortgage. Uh, we are not the bank, but we do collect payments. So it's more of the, ter- the terms of the sale than it is the becoming a bank with regards to a mobile home in a park. On land, very similar to single family homes. Make yeah, sense? Yeah. Yeah, that does. Let me, let me clarify uh, on a park versus on land. On land would be I own a lot and uh, you own the mobile home itself that sits on my lot. And, and, and in mobile home park, the home sits in the park and you own the home in the park and are uh, paying a lot rent to these guys to be able to keep it there. Is, it, is that right? That's certainly a type yes. Going back to your first example, when any mobile home on land or attached to land or on private land is going to be when I, the investor, talk to a seller, they own their land, they own the, the home, I want to buy both of those from them. That's a mobile home on land. Okay, from so- there, I can do the exit strategy that you, that you had just mentioned where I can rent the land but sell the home. But uh, but anyway, a mobile home on land, you're owning the land as well. Okay. In a park, you never own the land. Gotcha. So you are buying the land as well. Perfect. All that right. Is, so uh, well, let me let me dig in there a little bit. And I know like we can get into this probably later, but might as well do it now. So when you are buying in a park, then you talked about a couple of things. One, you mentioned the lease option. I want to touch on that for those people who don't know exactly what a lease option is. But Let's talk about you said you don't when you buy in a park, you don't usually actually buy. Is that correct? I mean, like you're you're not acting as a bank. So how does that actually structure now? When you're purchasing from uh, a mobile home seller inside of a park, you're you're purchasing their home. You're never purchasing the land. Uh, if okay. you do purchase that home on payments, uh, then you would structure the the deal accor- accordingly, depending on what you work out with the seller. So, John, my understanding is it's om- it's kind of similar to to. Uh, financing an automobile. Is that right? I mean, it's more more like that than it is when you're buying in a park than it is buying the home on land. Am I, is that, is that fair? Uh, in what respect? Mobile, mo- mobile homes in parks in most states yeah. are personal property like a car? Yeah. So you'll do like a uh, bill, yeah. of, bill of sale then, is that correct? In many states, you'll use a bill of sale, you'll use a title. Um, I've gotten a chance to call around all 50 states and their manufactured housing division learning what paperwork they use, what they don't use, the procedure, licensing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, bill of sale, very similar to a car. A title, very similar to a car, uh, is what you're going to find in many states, not all states. Um, yeah, and they're, they're pretty simple. Now, when you go into the, uh, the question that you had about structuring notes and structuring mortgages, uh, depending on the paperwork you're using, depending on how you're structuring those, uh, again, we can get into Dodd-Frank and SAFE, but that it's you know it's going to be very specific. So okay. we'll leave that to the lawyers. Yeah, we could. Yeah, there, <sighs> that we we could talk for a few hours on the, how to do that correctly. Yeah. Well, 
So maybe we can step back a little bit and, and walk me through because, you know, I feel like I'm grasping, you know, 80% of how this all works. Sure. Yeah. So what, what I'm wondering is how does a new begin like a newbie who's just getting started, how do they even look at this whole mobile home thing? I mean, what, what are they doing? They're going to go today. Are they going to go find a cheap mobile home in a park, put it under contract, pay them monthly payments and then sell it with monthly payments? Is that all they're doing? Or what can you kind of expand in a real basic beginner steps? What are we looking at? Sure. So if you're going to go out there and purchase a mobile home and mobile homes on land versus mobile homes in parks, they're two completely different animals. But if you're starting out in this business, I I want to give you a 30,000 foot view, like clarity of your area of your market. Every different market is different. We have to know how you're going to sell homes. You have to know what they can sell for monthly, what they can sell for with regards to your move-in fee. And you have to know how many buyers are out there. That's the first thing. Then having clarity, not just of one park that's next to your house or one park that's right down the street, but really understanding your entire market. What's for sale? Who sells? Water. Is the park selling anything? Let me talk to every single seller. Let me talk to other investors. This doesn't take a long time, about a week or so, to find not just in your county, but the surrounding area and the surrounding counties. You have to know what is for sale. It's so easy to overpay for a mobile home. Every mobile home that I purchase, that I help folks that want to purchase mobile homes, we're always buying them for everything that we put out, we make our money back within the first six months to 10 months max. If it's over that, that's just not our our model. I don't want anybody buying a mobile home that's listening to this and then having to wait three or four years to get all their money back. That's not how this business works. That's not how buyers and sellers will operate. So understanding who the buyers and sellers are, what they want, and then knowing which properties you want to purchase on and move on, once you have that clarity in your your market... um, I mean, there's definitely a method to the madness, but I hope that that made sense to get clarity and then yeah, know what they yeah. can sell for. Can we can we dig on that? Dig. So, how do we value a mobile home? Let's start there. Now, I mean, what's one of these things worth? You know, is it valued similar to a traditional property with comps, or is there another way to go about doing it? A mobile home on land, you can you can get comps to, um, depending how the market is. It may or may not be as valid, depending on the home. If it's financeable, uh, that's another op- that's another obviously barrier as well. So, mobile homes on land, you can look at comps, and they're more um, that's that's more valid, especially because there's land that you're going to be purchasing as well. A mobile home in a park now, that is something completely different. Now, a mobile home in a park, you can have two mobile homes that are identical side by side, and one seller needs to sell within this month. The other seller has to, they have savings, they have time, they don't need to sell that fast. And you can purchase uh, the home on the left from the motivated seller for a couple thousand dollars. And I say the couple thousand dollars because if it's any more than that, then I'm not going to pay for it and you shouldn't pay for that either. Now, if the seller wants more, if they can get full price, if they can wait to find a buyer in the market with cash, uh, then they can do so and they can sell it for more. So you're not exactly just looking for the mobile home that is beautiful and pretty and ready to be resold or fixed up a little bit and ready to be sold. You're looking for a motivated seller. Um, so how do you value a mobile home? In a park, you have to know what they can resell for first. That's a great way to find out, okay, what can I resell homes for? What will a three-bedroom sell for in my area, a two-bedroom sell for in my area? Will Does it need repairs? Does it not need repairs? And then when you purchase a mobile home from a seller, 
and this is me talking, you can purchase however you want to, of course, but I don't want it just to be uh, where you're doubling your money. That is ridiculous. If you're in this market just to double your money, um, you can do that very simply. But the returns that mobile home investors are making, especially when you're holding payments, are substantially greater. So basically, you're looking at you're looking at comps, correct? I mean, like the same way you say, well, that that mobile home down in the park on the other end sold for nineteen thousand and it was beautiful. This one is not beautiful. Is that what you're doing to find a value? Not at all, because the and this is something that to give you more clarity and understand who we're actually selling to. If you just want to make a business out of selling to conventional buyers who are going to go to a bank or buyers with cash that are out in the market, you're going to be waiting a very long time to sell your mobile home because you're competing with everybody else. Everybody wants cash. Everybody wants a fast sale. So if you're selling like everybody else, then you can, yes, you can expect comps. If a, if, if, if a home very similar to yours in a park sold a, a week ago, then possibly yours will sell for that same price. If a buyer comes along that wants to purchase that model home on that street corner in that park with those amenities, but oftentimes there aren't those kind of buyers. Only if we're in very hot spot er- areas do you have buyers just throwing cash at mobile homes. Yep. So it doesn't matter so much the comps because very few people sell mobile homes on a payment basis. Um, so comps really don't matter. It's really that testing before you get into the market and understanding what buyers will pay. Okay, so I've got two questions. Let's talk sure. about the payment basis, selling on the yes. payment basis versus uh, something else. And you had talked about finding the motivated guys and I want to get into that. So let's, again, so you're talking about selling on a payment basis. So that's just referring to what we had discussed earlier where you're, you know, you're kind of the bank, right? Correct. Okay. So on the motivated, what what are we doing? You know, I, I'm, I'm assuming we're not doing uh, uh, mailings like we would or yellow letters to absentee owners here where, you know, there's a whole different process to find motivated uh, is it word of mouth in the mobile space? What what are we doing? Great question. So a lot of people, when they come into this business, they think that it's very similar to single family homes, where you can you know find a deal, talk to the seller, and you know you know if it's going to be a deal. You make the offer, and then if they don't take it, you leave. So with mobile homes in park, we're doing a plethora of advertising. It's not just one method that that is going to find you the deal, and also you can't. Well, you can do whatever you want, but in order to find the cherry pick the very best deals that you want and invest in the homes that you know are going to make you your money back in a few months and then everything on top of that is profit. By the way, when we're selling in parks, typically anywhere from five to 10 years is what we're receiving those monthly payments when we resell. So Josh, the question that you had was concerning um, finding those types of motivated sellers. We can't predict where lightning is going to strike, but we can have many, many lightning rods in our area. So like I said just a few minutes ago, That's pretty I don't tweetable, you- by the way. Ooh, I like that, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Make sure you give me some credit for it. Um, <laughs> the wait has been worth it. So I don't uh. want you... And you really should, you're like, eh, it's debatable. Um, Don't want you just being an expert, again, in your county. You have to know, because these are mobile homes, because we have to purchase them below market, where you're making a considerable profit, and we have to find that seller that is motivated, we're not just looking in your county, but we're looking in the surrounding counties as well. So you have to cast a big net, make many, many, many offers, because some sellers will sell to other 
people. And if sellers can sell to other people before they have to leave, great. I want them to. Every seller should get just what they want, make the money that they want. It's their home. They should get what they want. If they can't, then they can go ahead and accept our offer. And the offers are typically very good. We let them know how we can help, how they can also sell. But the long story short is to not just know your area, but know the surrounding areas and make offers to every single seller. Have that bird's eye view, know what's for sale and make offers to every single person. Do park managers help? You know, can you get, you know, get in, buy some chocolate cake for the park manager and, and uh, you know, get the inside scoop on who's ready to get, get the heck out or, or, or what? You have such a, such a sweet tooth, Josh. I'm a sweet guy, yeah. By the way, I got those brownies. Thank you so much, Les. <laughs> oh, the brownies that <laughs> the I sent Christmas. you last year. You're yeah. thanking me now in June. <laughs> You're so, wow, awesome, man. Awesome. I appreciate it. Better, 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 better late than never. And there we go. <laughs> My video. pleasure. Here we My go. pleasure. They were good, weren't they? Oh, they were so good. I was, I thought you may have gotten me for almost as a, like a, punishment because I, I didn't get off the couch. I just ate them and ate them through one, one night, one whole night, everything. I'm sorry then. That, yeah, that's not, that's not good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, but seriously to, to the question about uh, sweet toothing, so to speak, yes. the, uh, the, the park managers. I've done that in the past. Uh, other folks who, who I've worked with have done the same things. Yes. To answer your question. Yes. Park managers. Sometimes they are the gatekeepers to the park. Uh, other times they think that they own the park and run the park. And basically they're just people. They wake up on the right side and the wrong side of bed every day. They know what's for sale in, in their park. They can go ahead and feed you deals, give you credibility, or they can take that away. They can make your life a nightmare. Does chocolate cake and donuts in the morning work sometimes? Absolutely. However, just even having them know you, you know, meeting them once and then Wondering, well, why? I wonder why they didn't give me any deals. Well, you know, it doesn't happen the first time. Oh, you sure. have to, they have to know that you're in the market. They have to know that you're a person who is going to do what they say they're going to do, is not just a fly-by-night. And they may have gotten burned by an investor in the past. Yeah. So something I like to do is whenever I do receive a lead from a, a park manager is to ask them, you know, how can I say thank you to you? What would make you feel appreciated? You've given me this lead. Thank you. And then I let them say, and sometimes it's a, a, a fee, sometimes it's a gift card somewhere. At minimum, it's a, me giving them a gift card after the fact. But yeah, a little payola. A little payola. <laughs> At first, I thought you said pay, peyote. I'm like, no, oh, no. <laughs> I guess it depends on the <laughs> Oh, jeez. No, 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 no. Is no. that legal there too? Uh, is that <laughs> Colorado? Aren't you coming up here? Two weeks, maybe. Yeah. Well, um, so what else? So what else besides park managers? You, you know, in casting that big net. I mean, I'm assuming you're probably. I mean, are you doing direct mail at all? Does that work in in mobile homes? Do you send out letters? Do you put up a sign at the mobile home park? And how does that work? Yes. Uh, not in the park. Park managers take a don't they don't like that. But uh, as far as signs go, uh, we buy homes. We buy mobile mobile homes. Whenever you leave a park, you can make a left or a right tip typically, and then you'll come to a stop sign, a traffic light. Put your signs there. Don't put them on the park property. Park managers won't like that. Parks have bulletin boards. You can hang uh, typically an ad right there if you ask for permission. Don't I don't do direct mailings inside parks. I do direct mailings, uh, mobile homes on land, neighborhoods with land, streets with just mobile homes and small patches of land. So why, uh, and don't, then why don't you do them in parks? Why don't you direct mail within a park? Will the park most, manager go and remove them all from their mailboxes? <laughs> no, no, that's a, that's a federal crime. <laughs> 
Now, that's something that you could do that I have experimented with when I've gotten permission is to have somebody go and put uh, flyers on everybody's door. And that's a great way to market as well. And if the park manager allows that, by all means, direct mailing or physically just putting something on a mailbox inside the park or their door would be ideal. Uh, Mobile homes inside parks, typically you can't get those addresses on the county records. You'll only get an address for the entire mobile home community. And then inside the community, they're just broken up into lots. So it's not, it's typically not going to be one, two, three J Uh, street. It's going to be lot five of this, which you, which you could do. I mean, obviously they're receiving mail, so you could just mail to every single lot. However, I don't out of respect in it getting back to the park manager, which I have to think it, it really would. Um, I don't want to dis. I've disrespected a park manager by doing that, and I won't do it again. You're Just dead by- to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and furthermore, it, it would make sense. Like, I mean, generally, you don't hear about real estate investors going and direct mailing a whole entire community. You know, they pick out the motivated ones in that community. And so it would make sense not to, I mean, I know some people do every door direct mail from the post office, but typically that's not what I hear people doing because it's a lot of money to mail to a thousand people who are all happy homeowners. Yeah. There's no point mailing them. So. Well, I tell you what, I mean, I used to live in a condo building and the, it, it seems fairly similar. Uh, the, you know, this condo building, there were two agents that represented pretty much that they, they owned, they owned the place. Right. So there were 200, I think something units, 300 maybe in, in the entire property. And almost everybody sold, sold through these guys because, you know, it, it kind of became their turf, right? They were in with the the board and, and, you know, they, they went to every meeting and they shook people's hands and, and suddenly everybody knew, okay, if I'm going to do it, this is the person that I'm going to deal with. And it, it seems like that's probably a, a better way as well. Just show up to community events p- potentially as well. Um, let people get to know you um, as an alternative to, to kind of getting them to know and trust you as well. Absolutely. Two things there. The, the first one being that your first anybody that really makes the decision, okay, this is something I want to consider, realize that your first three months in this business, nobody knows who you are. Nobody knows how you can help park managers, sellers, owners of mobile homes. So you obviously have to take time in the beginning, I say massive action to get you caught up to where you're a quote unquote household name. Now, the second thing, Brandon, you were, you, you, you were mentioning, you know, why would a, or People don't obviously like sometimes to mail out to a thousand homeowners, not knowing if they even are want to sell or if they are selling. They could be a happy homeowner. Yep. Um, mobile home owners in the future, uh, you know, mobile home owners will eventually one day most likely want to sell. We know, or I'm telling you, that mobile homes when they go to resell, uh, they're going to be somewhat difficult to sell, only because you're selling to a smaller percent of the population. And then of that percent who does want to live in a used mobile home on that particular size of land, now they have to get qualified. They have to have money. They have to, the home has to be approved by the bank as well. So if you mail to a thousand mobile home owners, you are going to receive more interest than typically if you were uh, mailed to a thousand single family home uh, owners as well, because we know over time that mobile home owner Eventually, they will want to sell. Eventually, they if they can't sell, they'll be a motivated seller. So, that makes uh, sense. again, just yeah, knowing your buyers and sellers, that's very important. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, people are going to be a lot more motivated uh, who live in a mobile home just for the fact that it's a mobile home and they want to eventually move out of that. So that makes perfect sense. Uh, well, what about um, when somebody calls then on a deal? Let's kind of walk through that process. They, they 
you know, for whatever reason, they, they see one of your marketing, you know, campaign something, they call you and they say, I've got a mobile home. What do you do? I mean, walk me through that process. I just called you and I'm like, hey, John, you know, I got this ugly mobile home. I don't know what to do with it. I don't like it. And what do you sure. say? Oh, sure. So there's, uh, there's three things that I do on the very first phone call. I qualify the home, find out about the home. What is it? For people listening, uh, your first, second, third deal, the first few, uh, aim for the path of least resistance. People like three bedrooms. People like pretty homes instead of ones that they have to repair. People like family parks. Well, people like senior parks as well, but m- majority of people, because there's a bigger demographic, like family parks. So with that said, I'm going to qualify the home. And hopefully it's going to be a two or three bedroom. Hopefully it's going to be in a family park. Hopefully that park is going to be average or low lot rent. If that passes and the home is nice and I want to look at it further, I'll then talk about the seller. Why are you looking to sell? And then I'll qualify the seller. So I qualified the home. Now I qualify the seller. Why are you looking to move? What would you like? Uh, when do you need to move, what else is for sale in the area, the park, what other offers have you gotten, and talk to them on a conversational basis. Then I'll go ahead and make uh, offers over the phone of what I have purchased before based on what they've told me about their home. And then if they agree, if we're in the same ballpark, I'll set an appointment. Okay, so that way you're not wasting your time going out to look at every property. I don't want to waste anybody's time, mine or theirs. You know, it, it's pretty much exactly what you should be doing when you talk to a uh, motivated seller on a, on a traditional property. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, the, uh, this game is all the same. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, there's a lot, obviously differences, but I, I think those three step things are perfect for anybody who's just looking to talk to motivated sellers. Yep. So anyone listening, you know, definitely pay attention. And those are some good, good notes to put down. Um, what, what about, oh, you know, I, so, so uh, that was the first step was, you know, you're going to qualify them. Then, then what happens? Well, after I've qualified them and we've set an appointment, uh, go out to that appointment, depending on what they've said, I'm going to go that day or go in the next day or two at most, uh, check out the home. Typically I don't make an offer while I'm there. Uh, I typically let the sellers know that I work with partners or other investors. I have to make decisions with them. So take pictures, explain what, how we, how our business works while I'm, while I'm there, build more rapport with them while I'm there, walk through the home, test every inch of it, and then leave. And about 24 hours later, call them back with a two to three offers. To explain so, that. Yeah, yeah, please. Sure. I like to give sellers options on how we can purchase their home. Also, I've explained to them in the very first phone call, there's a lot of bullets in our belt. We're paying cash for mobile homes. We're making payments to the seller. Um, we can do trades. We can, depending on what the seller wants and what they need, depend in a bunch of other variables, we can give them, again, cash, payments, combination of the both. So my three offers are cash, payments, and typically another payment option as well. With that said, they're very spread out. The first offer is is, uh, usually very conservative. It's cash. Cash is very black and white. So our first offer is something to the effect of one to $4,000 cash. And then we get very close or we can meet their asking price if we give them payments. So I want them to understand Okay, they are making a cash offer, but they can get very close to what offers that, you know, my, my asking price if I can accept payments. And then here's the kicker. I want to hear from them over that phone call when I give them the offers. What did you think? What did you think about offer number one? What did you think about offer number two, number three? Typically, they're not loving any of the offers because, again, I'm an investor. We have to make money. I want to solve their problems, but we're not going to do anything if we don't meet eye, 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 eye to eye. Yeah. So, 
Then from that point, then we're coming up with a win-win offer. I gave you my offers that would be winning. Then they come back with, well, we can't do that, but here's something that we can do. And ultimately, if we're too far apart, we're too far apart. But um, oftentimes, we can make a deal. And if not, then that seller can always call us back. A temporary no can definitely turn into a no. Uh, Yes, down, down the road. Yeah. You know, just coming from like a marketing standpoint, obviously I do a lot of marketing at Bigger Pockets. I do a lot of marketing in my real estate business. One thing that when I read marketing blogs, everyone talks about is that idea of three things. I think that's genius that you do that because it really works well. Like there's just something about the human psyche that responds well to three options. Like if you go to, you're going to go buy like a, I don't know, whatever it is, there's always like, here's three options for what you're going to buy. And I actually turned this around on a flip I did last year. I sold it last January and I put this flip for sale. Uh, for $110,000. And then in the property, when they came and looked at it, there was a piece of paper there that said 110 for the house or 115 for the house and I'll add a ductless heat pump or 120 and I'll throw in granite countertops. And so what that does to people is it normally they go into a house and they say, okay, this one's 110 compared to the one down the street that's 108 or whatever. And so they're comparing one to another. So instead they compare well, this one's 110 versus these other two packages. So it takes out the, the, the neighbor, takes out the other factors that are out there and makes them focus only on your own. So that's just a tip I want to throw out there to people is, yeah, make multiple offer, offers to people, uh, multiple options, and it, it can really work well. So anyway, thought I'd throw that out there. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com bp. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're trying to close on your next rental. So why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. 
Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Are you about to sell a property? Wait like 60 seconds because this could save you thousands. Our friends at 1031 Pros have saved their clients more than half a billion dollars, with a B, in taxes with 1031 tax-deferred exchanges. With the 1031 exchange, you can say goodbye to the huge capital gains taxes when selling and roll your property's profit into another investment that can make you even more. Whether you're an individual investor, part of a larger group, or a title or real estate agent, 1031 Pros is ready to help. Trust me, I've done 1031 exchanges on multiple properties before, and it has saved me tens of thousands in taxes, if not more. With over 30 years of experience, 1031 Pros has handled over 20,000 audit-free exchanges. And they specialize in all types of exchanges, delayed, simultaneous, reverse, and improvement exchanges in all 50 states. And right now, Bigger Pockets listeners can get $250 off any exchange by visiting my1031pros.com slash BP. That's my1031pros.com slash BP to get $250 off today. Oh, and make sure to mention Bigger Pockets when you call. They take care of our people over there. Um. Let me actually move on to uh, a topic that I, I guess, red flags on a, on a property. You go out and look at one and what do you normally look at in a mobile home? And you're like, oh, that's no way. I will not touch that mobile home. Or is, is that ever a case? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've written an article um, on the site that uh, definitely talks about that. There are a few things that I've realized uh, that you may be surprised about that are most things in a mobile home can be fixed and most things uh, price cures everything when if we need to resell it we can lower that move-in fee we can lower the monthly payments keep the price of the home the same but we can make it attractive to the end user there are some things and i would even go fat farther than red flags because red flags are just a sort of a warning i think but yep. you know say like an absolute Stop, skull like and crossbones, yeah, don't, yeah. yeah, like a stop sign, would be the notoriously small bedroom uh, on a mobile home, typically on a single wide. If it has three rooms, uh, you'll find one of those bedrooms is just notoriously small. It's not a, <laughs> it's not a bedroom. It's, I mean, it is a bedroom, but it's most people. If you go into this home and you see this bedroom, you're like, this isn't a bedroom. Uh, also, if the if it's functionally obsolescent, uh, obsolete, if the ceiling is too short, if the um, if it's well, senior parks are definitely all right. Um, even if one star park is all right, there's a buyer for that. Um, if there's chronic problems throughout the home, I will not invest in it. Other people who, who I've worked with do, they like to do repairs. I don't like to do that many repairs. Um, there's plenty of deals out there and I don't touch one. If it's got just chronic roof issues throughout the home, chronic floor issues, there's holes in the floor throughout. Uh, I don't touch that, but the small bedroom, that's a huge red flag. Uh, smells, well, smells can be cleaned up usually. So really just the small bedroom, if a park manager, if I don't like the park manager or their mm-hmm. application process is ridiculously 
thorough. Uh, I won't invest there either. So it's really those are the deal the deal killers. Uh, okay. A too but, strict park and then a small bedroom. That's interesting. Yeah. And again, you know, going back to the idea of of uh, buying a condo or something in an HOA, uh, sounds sounds kind of similar. You know, yeah. I mean, I I would never buy an investment property in an HOA just because you've got these. You know, it's it's hard enough dealing with the the buyers, the sellers, all that. You know, dealing with all 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 the uh, the folks that you deal with normally as an investor, but dealing with a board or or park managers uh, complicates things. And, and, and so, you know, for what you're doing, finding the the managers that you know are easy to work with, whose rules are 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 fairly easy to deal with, uh, it seems like a. a a good method. That's that. If I could call you, I want to call you out on something here, Josh, real quick. Yeah. So here, here's my thought is when you say you ha- obviously had a very bad experience with a condo association, but going, looking back, did like, first of all, I'm curious, did you, how much research did you do into the condo association before you did it? And then how many like books, forums, podcasts, whatever, did you research to try to overcome those problems? You know, cause this is before probably your investment. Oh, days, sure. Absolutely. Right? So Absolutely. like, I mean, a lot of, a lot of newbies say things like I will never do X, Y, Z because I had a bad experience, but I would still never do it. <laughs> <laughs> Not only from my own personal experience, but I, you know, I, I've got a lot of friends who've owned properties, owned investment properties in, in, uh, HOAs. My, my stems from, I will tell you, I lived in a building, the HOA, what, what tends to happen in HOAs, and, and this is a, a gross generalization, but you know, we're going <laughs> to run with it anyway. Uh, you know, everybody in the world, we all, we all have some need, some desire to have power, right? The world is all about power. We're all, it, you know, we're all kind of trying to get our piece of the pie. And, you know, most people in general have no power. You know, the only power they may have is over their family or something else. Well, what happens is folks go get into these HOAs and suddenly they have a little bit of authority, a little bit of power, and they like to wield that power. And, uh, you know, I, I will put it to you to ask people you know who have uh, bought property in HOAs uh, if, if this uh, rings true, because I know it has for almost everybody I've spoken to. So what happens is you get these HOAs where, you know, people get power hungry and they start making rules that, you know, are kind of tedious and difficult and, and suddenly you're dealing with stuff. And, and so, you know, in my experience, listen, I dealt with an HOA who was throwing, you know, it was run by a tight click of people who threw people out of the building that they didn't like. Uh, I, I dealt with an HOA that, uh, refused to buy earthquake insurance in Southern California. Um, you know, and I've got an investment in this property and I'm sitting here without earthquake insurance, you know, and I say, well, that's crazy. You know, let's do something about it. Let's rally the troops. And suddenly I'm playing politics and I'm a, you know, I, I'm an owner. I don't have the time or energy to play politics. And, and I think most owners and most investors don't want to deal with that either. You know, in places like New York City where they have co-ops, you can't even sell your, I mean, selling your property, you need permission uh, and, and approval to who you could sell that property to. So it, when, when I say I would never buy in an HOA, I mean it. And I mean it because there's difficulties that come with an HOA. It's an extra layer that you as an investor don't need to worry about, shouldn't have to worry about. It's hard enough to go out, find good deals, you know, get the deals handled. You know, if you're a landlord, deal with, you know, deal with your tenants. But to worry about all the other stuff. Is this board going to throw up extra assessments? Is the board going to throw in extra fees, things like that? Or are they going to change the rules and do something crazy, which happens all the time? 
you know, is that going to happen? So that's, that's my reason. And, and I appreciate you flipping the question on it. And, <laughs> and if, if I didn't answer it, well then well, know, it, it, ask, it makes ask sense. some more. It makes sense. I just want to make sure, you know, like a lot of people just turn things down because they had a bad experience, but I, I like to say you had a bad, ex- kind of like this. My brother-in-law had a terrible experience landlording. He was yeah. fixing toilets at 2 a.m. I will yeah. never be a landlord because I won't fix toilets at 2 a.m. No, and I would, no, no. yeah, I always challenge that. Say, well, you know, the, 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 logic is incorrect there saying I won't do it because I don't want to do it with toilets. Well, I don't do toilets at 2 a.m. I'm a landlord. Yeah. So anyway, that's, no, that that's wasn't my point. It. And, and b- besides the fact, uh, you know, I had a bad experience with John Fedro, you know, not making it <laughs> to the podcast the first time we tried to do it and he's back. So <laughs> that you know. just shows how big of a person you are. Uh, it does. <laughs> <laughs> that's, you know, that's the same. Uh, well, this, the stigma that I get the, Brandon, that 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 you're talking about with um, mo- with mobile homes. I mean, everybody turns their 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 noses up at these. Yep. Uh, I've heard countless times that I, oh, I would never do that because they're mobile homes because they depreciate. Yep. Because you can't get your money back because the people who live inside of them are, uh, well, all sorts of things that aren't true at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm and and my my point is not about you know is is it true or is it not? Brandon asked me. My answer is I don't want that headache. You know, for me, I've dealt with that headache. I've talked to enough people who have also dealt with that headache. I've seen it happen. I, you know, I have friends who, who, who like, who, who have the, the perfect home. They love their home. They love where they live. And they, they're like, I have to run for the board. Like, what do you mean you have to run for the board? Well, this board is so crazy, so chaotic. Uh, they're doing all sorts of things. They're making rules that I can't do this. And I, they have to dictate the color that I paint my house. And, you know, that my grass not be, you know, three quarters of an inch, but be a half an inch or shorter, you know, and it's like, come on, do you need that? I don't want to deal with it. So, you know, I'm not saying investors shouldn't necessarily buy it with an HOA. I say I won't buy in an HOA because of A, B, and C. And if you're thinking about it as a new investor, be warned and know ahead of time that these are possibilities that could come up. Uh, and, and, what that does is it does create a niche, right? You know, there's guys who love condos, people who will deal with them because, you know, they don't care and it's not a headache to them and that's fine. Yeah. And that's kind of what John's saying too, right? You know, mobile homes, there's a lot of people who don't want them, which just means yep. more for you. Yep. I mean, essentially, that's what it turns into. Correct. Yep. Why this, uh, how'd this become about me? By the way? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So I want, come I, on now. Before we wrap this up, <laughs> I, I want to go into some non-mobile home related questions. I got actually you know. hold, hold on. I, oh, I'm going to okay. cut you off because I have one last mobile home question, which right. is a pretty important one. Okay, go ahead. Uh, so on on mobiles, there's something called Lonnie deals, right? And Lonnie deals are these deals based. Uh, I, I'm I think they were created. They're called Lonnie deals because of Lonnie Scruggs. Lonnie was this mobile home guy. He's recently passed away, um, and and. Uh, uh, you know, he kind of, I don't know if he coined the term or the term was coined around him, but what is a Lonnie deal? Because people who are investing in mobile homes probably have heard this and may or may not know what exactly they are. Sure. Um, to my understanding, and I've never done a Lonnie deal, um, exactly. But, uh, to my understanding, Lonnie deals are, you're purchasing homes from uh, anywhere from two to $4,000. You're selling them for double about six to $8,000. And that's the general, that's a mobile home in a park. Um, they could need work. They could not need work. Our two methods aren't similar, um, but that's what—that's my understanding of a Lonnie deal, purchasing a, a very 
typically out of date mobile home, again, two, three thousand dollars, quickly selling it uh, and holding payments for just about six or seven thousand dollars. I mean, okay. not, not, not much. Maybe if you're buying it for five and selling it for ten, but that just, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a Lonnie deal in a nutshell. In a nutshell yeah. And, and the, uh, go, uh, go ahead. No, it's just, I mean, that's, uh, he's taught, you know, thousands and thousands. I think he's the grandfather of mobile home investing. And that, that, that was the status quo for 10, 20 years of yeah. what you were doing with mobile homes. Things have changed. Affordable housing nowadays have changed. Lonnie deals, they leave a lot of money on the table. They don't take into account for new laws that have changed. The, the homes that I feel that those deals, I, I'm, I, again, I'm just looking at the nicer homes, I guess. But there's money to be made. I mean, mobile homes, you can do Lonnie deals or something that I do or your own path, but yeah. there's certainly money to be made in this industry. Yeah. And as, as Brandon and I like to say, you know, there's, there's lots of different strategies you can you can follow in any given niche. And uh, so, you know, what, what you do, John, is, is definitely your own strategy. And I'm sure there's lots of other people who do it, but, you know, it's not the only path. And, and uh, you know, certainly we encourage people, you know, if you're interested in mobiles to, to kind of look at the various ways that you can go about doing it and, and you know, just do it as long as you're doing it legal and you're, you know, you're doing well by yourself, <laughs> you know, go for it. Cool, cool. Absolutely. There's a lot of sellers out there that need uh, that do need help. There's a lot of mobile homes. Oftentimes, I'm one of the first uh, investors, buyers that are that are there. Um, yeah, there's a lot of sellers out there that need help, and I think real estate investing that's what this business comes down to. We we're, we're only here in business because we create value, yeah. create value with the sellers, the buyers. Despite yeah. what the media says, right? Despite oh my goodness, yeah, the media. Um, <laughs> I just the article I wrote this week started off by saying that I I recently uh, I told somebody that I was a real estate investor and just the look that she gave me was uh, one of disgust that and I didn't it was my first meeting time meeting her that was like you know we exchange pleasantries what do you do and as soon as I said real estate investor she just you sure it wasn't the unkempt hair and the the t shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about. Everybody. Or the, vom- or the vomit suit breath right now. From, from <laughs> I keep that as a reminder. <laughs> in, a vo- in a little jar. I, know. <laughs> I just never brush my teeth. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. All right. We're all right. Quickly. Uh... I'm moving on. <laughs> all right. So going back to my, when Josh so rudely interrupted me with oh, another mobile home it. question. <laughs> all right. Mobile, non-mobile home questions, because obviously a lot of people listening to the show are not into mobile homes. They're not doing that. So I want to talk about a few things uh, that might apply to everybody here. First of all, let's go back to what you talked about at the very beginning. You were you know, deathly afraid. You th- threw up. You were so afraid of that first deal. It reminds me uh, back on one of our episodes with uh, Danny Johnson, and I'll link to that in the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash slash show 75. Uh, but he talked about when he got his first phone call, he took the phone and threw it across the room at his wife. Oh, yeah. so he, he just <laughs> didn't know right. what to do. He just chucked the phone at her like, ah, you take it. He got so scared. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, it's a natural thing. I mean, I, I still get nervous when people call me. Like, I mean, I still get a, like a little bit of like, ah, oh, I don't want to talk to them. So how should a new investor overcome that fear of talking to motivated sellers or whoever in the business? How do you overcome that fear? Two really good nuggets. The first one is know your sellers. There's three types of sellers that mobile home and sellers sellers fall into. The first type, they're very illogical. They're very rational. Maybe 8 to 10% of sellers fall into this category. They're pulling out their hair. They will sell their mobile home to anybody with a pulse. They want very little money. They might be getting evicted by the park. That's the very small 
percentage and their homes go very quickly. The next group of people, they do want your help. They need more time to sell or they, they, they can take more time to sell. The, the smallest group, the 10%, they need to sell in like two weeks to three weeks. The next group, they need to sell in a month, two months. They have a little bit of time. The third group, uh, which is the majority, they, they, need, they, they have money, they have time, they have five, four, six months or more to sell. So really understanding who you're talking to is the first thing. Because if you talk to three or, excuse me, 10 um, low-priority sellers, which I call that, that biggest group, the ones that they have time, they have finances, they don't need to sell, then understand that your job there is to educate them. Our job is to educate every single seller. Some want to work with us, some don't. So that's sort of the first you know, thing to understand is once we take on that mindset of education versus it's me versus a seller, now it's you and a seller joining forces to then sell their, their headache, their, their unwanted home. So that's my first thing that I would say. The second is to have a, have a partner, have somebody that you're the lower guy on the totem pole in your small investing business company, partnership, whatever you may want to say. So you don't have to know all the answers. If you don't know something, that's a great question. Let me talk to my partner and next time we talk, I'll have an answer for you. Yeah, those are the, those are the two things. That Educate is, sellers. And, yeah, that's so, and, and I think that also potentially applies to anybody, right? So the, the education, I mean, again, that's, that's how people get deals, right? You're, you're not, you know, somebody's not going to sell to you because they think you're a scumbag. They're going to sell to you because they think you're going to help them with their problem. And, you know, you're going to get the deal because you're helping them solve the problem versus the guy who's lowballing them, maybe offering the exact same price that you're offering. But, you know, their motivation is, oh, I'm going to get this cheap. Whereas your motivation from their eyes is I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to help you out of your 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 tough situation. And then and then the second thing that it sounds like even if you don't have your partner, you're kind of talking to your imaginary partner. Is that is that true? <laughs> That's correct. Okay. Just checking. Or your your wife or husband or whatever people can talk to. So My multiple personality. So uh, well, yeah. That that explains a few things. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So so speaking of uh, your personalities, let's talk about building the brand and the reputation. So how how does somebody whether it be mobile or any other niche in this industry, how do you go about building a, a good brand and reputation for yourself? By massive action. If you're starting off in any new niche, uh, any real estate investing on umbrella, um, you're getting started or you're not getting started and you're just switching niches or you're wondering what, you know, everybody can have a better brand. And it doesn't happen by, oh, I talked to one person this week or I, I networked with this guy and I did this and that. You know, you have to take these, this massive action. People have to, you have to be on the top of the minds of sellers, of people in this business. If you're not mobile home investing, then there are people in your industry, such as realtors, such as other investors, dealers, brokers. I'm thinking park managers, obviously, for my de industry. Dealers? Uh, well, dealers, again, probably just for my, for my industry, mobile Don't, home investing. Oh, okay. I thought you were <laughs> yeah. drug, drug, um, drug dealers. But there's, <laughs> <laughs> you'd be surprised. A lot. Oh, well, that's, that's um, kind of why I brought it up. <laughs> um, so the, it, it's to have massive action. If ever I'm giving advice to a newer person, the first nine weeks, the first three months or so, you're really doing a lot more than you're going to be doing moving forward. People have to know who you are. You have to continually be following up with sellers, following up with 
park managers, following up with realtors, with other investors, reminding them of what you do. You don't have to throw money at things. You don't have to be People have to know that you're in this business. You do what you say you're going to do. Obviously, five years from now, if you're still in this business, people know who you are. You've done what you said you're going to do. But in the beginning, we have to be following up with sellers every single day, five days a week. I make seven calls. I call three old sellers who I've already talked to. I call three new sellers who I've, who I've never talked to before. And I talk to two park managers to, fo- to follow up with them. So that's seven people five days a week. That's how I, and in addition to my other marketing, my other advertising, um, going to networking meetings, that's who I'm talking to. That's who I'm following up, who I'm staying on the top of everybody's minds. That's how I have leads coming to me, um, sometimes seemingly from I don't know where. Um, so that's the best advice I can give. I hope, and there's really no magic there. It's persistent and it's, it's loving what you do and being loud about it. Yep. I, I think that's great. Being loud. I mean, you wrote an article a while back about being a loud and proud real estate investor and, and getting out there and, and letting people know what you do. I thought that was excellent. Uh, another article you actually just wrote. And we'll link to that. In yeah, the show we'll notes, link to by it. By the way, which are at biggerpockets.com slash show 75. Yep. Yep. So another article, speaking of the articles you wrote, uh, you wrote one a f- couple weeks ago. I thought was just terrific. I mean, really terrific. And it was the one small, simple step to growing your network and increasing your influence. And And what you had said in there was, you challenged people. It was a really short article and just said, I challenge you to go out to lunch this week. Call somebody that you admire and respect and ask them out to lunch. Set a time, date, and location. And, and so many people don't do things like that. Just, that is such an actionable step, though. I mean, uh, just just do it. I mean, don't stop talking about it. Stop thinking about it. And so I, I just want to throw that challenge out to everyone listening as well is this week, go read that article and then go and call out just one person you respect, admire in your area and take them out to lunch. I I think it's a terrific idea. It's so, great. Yeah, it really is good. It really is good. All right. Well, uh, for for those people who are trying to figure out their niche, you know, do you have any advice? You know, you are green. You fell into mobiles. Uh, now that you've been in the business for a while, uh, what what could what could other new people do to to better figure out what niche is going to work for them? Sure. Actually, I just made a video about this. Um, the you know, the, the whole, I get this question quite, quite, quite often, you know, John, I'm not sure what type of investor I should be. And first, I want to disagree with that question by, because the whole, what type of niche do I focus in? What type of investor should I be? It makes us think that real estate investing is this monolithic road that we go down. Once you're on, you're in it until uh, you fail or you die or win or lose. <laughs> and that's not how this business works, where um, you're, you're, just like living in life in your career, things that uh, niches that you decide to go into are going to be a product of your attributes and perception and your wants at the time, your goals, um, and many different other things. So the first thing I would say, if you want a couple actionable steps, uh, is to, number one, spend a week or so understanding the bunch of different niches. I know you, uh, Brandon, you, you had written in, uh, 100 Ways to Make Money in This Real Estate Investing. Love yep. that article. Thanks. And you know, understand those, and then from a, ball, a bird's eye view, pick two or three that really excite you. Then, 
and take out those local investors who are an expert in those niches um, and then understand the clarity, the, the footwork that you're going to need to take moving forward. Maybe not every step, obviously, but the basic footwork moving forward. Then take massive action to become known in your area and find those deals. So it's when you take this action that you're rubbing shoulders with sellers, with other investors, and at least you're doing something. You're gaining traction. Will you do a few deals you know, could you do a few deals? Yes. Will it be your ultimate ideal niche? Probably not. You're going to find something else that you like. And maybe organically, a multifamily seller might call you and you say, what the heck is this? And then you partner with someone who knows that. And then you're in that niche and you really love it. So be active, continue to rub shoulders with, with people in this business. Um, and don't be afraid to pull the trigger, you know, have clarity of what a deal is. If you're, if you're, uh, if you're scared about a deal or you don't know that you're going to purchase something wrong, then you don't have enough understanding. So find someone that does. Um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, and then put one foot in front of the other, in front of the other, in front of the other. Yeah, that's a great, that's, that's great. You know, I've, I've said this analogy before, but uh, there's that old, you know, the TV show, The Price is Right. And they play this game Plinko, which is Plinko. where they, yeah, they drop this like <laughs> ball down this board that has a million pegs on it. And you never know where it's going to land at the bottom because it's just bouncing around all these pegs. That's kind of how I see a lot of real estate investing is like, uh, you just hit these pegs constantly in your life and you just kind of go down to a certain thing that fits you. And you never know if you don't drop the ball. Like you'll never know if you don't, you know, drop the Plinko coin or whatever it is they drop, right? So you just get out there, start doing it, start hitting pegs. Sometimes it hurts, sometimes it's fun, and you end up somewhere good. So yeah, <laughs> nice. cool. All Good right, analogy. yeah, yeah. Thanks. All right, well, let's talk about something you you hit on earlier, and I want to dive into it. It's investing when you're young or when you look young. I mean, a lot of people listen to the podcast. Podcasts, you know, attract a lot of young listeners. So what do people do when they're they look like they're 15? They might be 25, 30, whatever they look 15. How do you, how do you get over that? You know, I don't think I could have ever convinced myself when I got started, even the first five or six years. Cause I just didn't change. I don't think I hit <laughs> puberty until I was about 27. <laughs> uh, nice. And so there's nothing I, I because I, people would have told, or people did tell me my young friends who were successful at the time as well. They said, you know, screw, screw your age. Who cares? You're there to help people. And as much as I heard that, it still didn't sink in. Now looking back, I really see that sellers, the right type of sellers, mind you, this, you know, sellers, when they see how much you care, they don't care about how much you know within reason. So if you're willing to help that seller, if that seller is motivated to sell, you don't need to know everything, but you do have to have the willingness to help, the willingness maybe to find somebody who knows um, and then help that seller. So you could wait. Yeah. Ultimately, I think that's what and that's what I love about this business is that only time will tell. Many, I don't know what the percentage is now. I read many years ago that 95 plus percent of investors that call themselves investors never actually do deals. Right. Yeah. So ultimately, it's going to be you to pull the trigger after you pull over on the side of the road and get sick and are so nauseous you don't know <laughs> what to do. That's your moment. Are you going to run home be- with your tail between your legs or just do it? Your age is a ridiculous thing to be worried about. And, and you can even say that I'm that low person on the totem pole. You know, I work with this company. I have partners. My job is to come out, take pictures, find out what the seller wants, and really, you know, get to know you face to face. So there's always a way around any sort of hurdle that we have in front of us. Uh, it's just, does the person have the motivation? And any person that will 
that's just indicative of a real estate investor. You're always going to have hurdles. So if it's not the age thing, it's going to be, oh, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. This gets in the way. That gets in the way. Um, so yeah, age is nothing but a number, just like Aaliyah says. Hey, so, <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna get I'm gonna get grief if I don't ask ask this question, and and so I've I've got to ask it. I, I, you know, and we've had, this is a debate and maybe it's a dangerous thing to, to raise here. <laughs> it's, it's very similar to the discussion about, uh, you know, you're the owner of the property versus you're the manager of the property when you're a landlord. Uh, so, you know, is there, is there some, you know, do, do we lose a little bit of credibility here by saying, Hey, you know, my partner is this and that and, and not being wholly upfront in, in that, you know, you are the guy. Uh, are you parsing or is it, you know, ultimately, listen, you've got a company, you work for the company. The company obviously is your company, but you're an employee of that company or, or you're a member of that company, whatever it is. And it's, it's all good. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I know that this becomes a huge debate, but has that ever kind of crossed your mind or, or concerned you that, you know, you're, you're talking about these partners that may or may not exist? Many times they do. Oftentimes I do run by do run my deals by some people. In the beginning, um, I had one or two financial friends that that did help me out. Um, that there is a gray area in real estate investing, whether people want to admit it or not. Um, this is a question that I don't even think is. I would love to see the debate. The fact the fact that 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 there's even a debate about this is. Interesting. Um, I ha- I have no trouble sleeping at night using using the word we instead of using the word I. Yeah. Um, am I going to now if if I need my quote unquote other investor friend to call up that seller, uh, you know, because okay, rarely has somebody said to me, well, put this person on the phone, and if that's the case, then I you know I have had people that I would have called them, the, the partners that I was working with, yeah. um, that would call. So occasionally that's been fine. It's not um, John Fedro's other personality. No. Yeah, that is, that, that's, Fair a, enough. Is, that, is that really a debate? I mean, do, it, do people well, get to that? It started because, I, well, maybe not started, but it, it blew up a, a year ago because I wrote an article called How to Be a Landlord, My Top 10 Tips for Success. And number 10 was don't be the landlord. When I, my tenants ask me, do you own the property? I say, I manage the property. I don't say, no, I don't own it. I just say, I manage it. So the question is, is that a sin of admission, of admission? by me not stepping out and telling them Yes, I own it and I manage it. I'm just wearing the manager hat. And some people got really upset about that. And I mean, I understand why. I mean, it's like you said, maybe it's a gray area, but I don't advocate lying ever. But is it wrong not to share all the details? And some people say yes. Some people say no. I don't know. I just wanted to bring it up. I mean, you know, it's it's something that may be top of mind for people. I know when when I don't ask our guests a question, I get like slammed by email by like all these angry <laughs> listeners who are like, why didn't you ask them that? That's something you should have asked. So yeah, there you go. That's the, uh, and, and not all of our listeners are angry, just the five <laughs> of you. <laughs> Why'd you go so easy, so easy on him? Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I, I've got one last question before we get to the next section here and, and start wrapping this. If you could go back, tell yourself one piece of advice when you were first starting out, uh, what would it be other than, you know, bring some uh, mouthwash after, you know, vomiting <laughs> on that first, first deal? <laughs> well, you know, everything that I'm really happy with where I'm at now 
and everything that I've learned and all the mistakes I've made, the countless, countless mistakes that I've made, uh, I really feel that they were a, that they did a service to where I'm at right now. Um, so what I would tell myself is different than what I would tell other people just getting started. But you asked me the question about what I would tell myself and I would say, John, stretch, don't be afraid to keep stretching yourself. Yeah. After my 25th or 30th deal, um, in parks on land, there was like this year where two where three, two definitely, but then a third one, pretty sure I could have gotten into purchasing an entire mobile home community um, before it was listed on the market, before the seller really even wanted to sell. And I was just, no, I don't want to purchase a park. I'm doing my own thing. I'm buying the homes. And, and I was just so closed off on owning a park. So that's what I would say is, you know, John, don't get pigeonholed into your uh, niche just because you love what you're doing and you're making money and you're good at it. Don't be afraid to expand. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. And, and, you know, I love that you talk about how many countless mistakes you've made. And, and I just want to uh, harp on that, not to call you out, but because pretty much any successful real estate investor would say the exact same thing if they were being honest with themselves, right? Uh, yep. Ultimately, you're going to make mistakes. Don't be afraid to make those mistakes. There's, they're unavoidable. It's going to happen. And, and if you're listening, you know, just be prepared and, and know that when they happen, you'll have to figure out what to do and, and where to turn. And, you know, hopefully places like Bigger Pockets can, can help you out and, or, you know, have, have some folks uh, at the ready uh, to, to assist. Um, I had one more question, so I kind of lied uh, before we get to our fire round, which was, you know, this was very theoretical, this show. We, we talked about a lot about, you know, what you can and can't, should, shouldn't, and how it, different approaches. But we didn't really talk too much about you uh, and, and what you've done. We talked about that first deal. And so uh, just really quickly, I, you know, do you have like a favorite deal other than the first deal that you've done or like a really cool deal story or funny or strange or just something, some other deal that you'd like to share that, that could maybe help motivate, inspire, or just gross us out? Or just <laughs> gross us out. Where do I begin? Don't make me choose. Oh, just pick one. No. Okay. So, um, you know, it always blows me away that there's no cookie cutter deals. They're all unique and different. Um, I will give this example that uh, I purchased a deal from a seller. Uh, she had two mobile homes. I It was very creative. And I wrote an article on Bigger Pockets ta- dis- discussing this where I purchased both of her homes. I gave her, I think it was $4,000 out of pocket. And the rest of the money was I discounted her hospital note. She had these uh, just, I think it was thirty dollars or $40,000 close to $40,000 in, in hospital debt. And I removed all of that um, by working with a credit removal company. I know that that, those, that debt didn't, oh no, it was credit debt and then it was also hospital debt. And I removed the hospital debt by paying it off at 10% and then the credit card debt, I got wiped away. So she was asking 60,000 plus for, her, for both of those homes. One was on land, one was in a park. I went ahead and purchased it for $4,000 out of pocket and then I cleared up all that other debt. I did have to pay 10% for the hospital debt, but uh, just purchased them completely, you know, creatively. And what I loved about that is that she was, I was getting this amazing deal and it was so just bizarre and abstract, um, but she was so thankful. And I remember her being so thankful. I sold both of those properties to buyers that are on the other end of the spectrum. We're buying from sellers that are emotional, that, that want to get rid of their homes. 
all right, sellers, we're, from, we're buying from sellers that want to get rid of their home. And then on the other side of that emotional spectrum, you have buyers now that they don't get qualified at a bank. They might, maybe they can't get qualified at a bank. They do have jobs. They do have good income. They're good, low-risk people, and they want a home to own. We're selling that home to them, and they were just as thrilled as they could be. So that's pretty indicative of every deal. You have the happy buyers and sellers. Everything's win-win. But I loved this particular deal because it was just one of the few that I put together with just a super cool creative strategy that I was able to reduce that 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 hospital debt. That's and, awesome. Uh, yeah, I never heard of anybody doing that before. That's very cool. That's, well, you know, it's just about what she wanted. One of the things yeah. that I think I had learned it a few weeks back from this appointment was, you know, ask them, what are you going to do with that money? If I give you that money, you're going to put it here on your on your kitchen table. Like, what are you going to do with it? That's put it in the bank. Great. That's a really good question. Yeah, that's a really good good question. Also, yeah, because that'll help you get to the crux of what their issue is. My yep. my uncle's in the hospital. I got to pay the bills, or you know, I what what whatever it is. And 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 by finding that out, you know, maybe you could come up with a, a creative solution. And and clearly, you did. So that was uh, that was awesome. Well, cool. let's uh, let's move on uh, to. It's time for the fire round. All right, the fire round. These questions come straight out of the bigger pockets forums. These are questions real people ask, and we're going to ask you to answer them. Number one, why are park-owned mobile homes generally not desirable? That was a question in the, in the, in the forums. Ooh, that's a really good question. Now, it could be the forum where if you're going to be owning communities, and if that's the if that's what this is in reference to, most mobile home buyer, most mobile home park buyers, when they're going to buy the entire communities, they're not looking to purchase the mobile homes that are that that convey with the property. We typically want to sell those homes off. So. Most mobile home park buyers, when they want to purchase an entire mobile home park, they will go ahead and sell those homes and just collect on the land underneath the home. Now, park-owned home, for for what I do, if you're just buying the individual mobile homes, park-owned mobile homes, if they're selling those homes – I like them a lot. I don't know why they're not, not, they're not desirable. If a park is selling a home for $30,000, I'm not interested. $20,000, I'm not interested. If they're selling it for a normal price or one to three, four, five, six thousand $6,000, then I'm interested. But otherwise, they're, you know, I, I don't have any problems with them. So I think the question may have been with regards to a community. If you're buying an entire community and then they're sort of undesirable because most community buyers want the land they don't want to have to landlord the actual home on the land. Okay, um, yeah. And that makes, that makes sense. sense. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm not sure which was the original intent either, but you answered that perfectly. So Nice, nice. All right, hard money. Is that a good resource for mobile home investors? No, I'm always, I mean, yes, you can buy, you can use it. You can use it. I'm, I'm not a big fan of ever going to a bank and signing on uh, personally, whether it be a bank or a hard money lender. Um, and if you're going to purchase a mobile home, re- remember that the exit strategy if you're going to sell it with cash, if you're going to sell it with conventional financing or FHA financing, hard money may work. Um, but mobile homes and parks, um, we're, you know, we're buying them for just so inexpensive and we're putting m- very little to you know, moderate amounts of money into them before we sell them. But we're making our money back in a year or less, 10 months or less. So yeah, I'm never. I'm not a big fan at all. You're asking the wrong guy because I hate hard money. I hate bank bank loans, <laughs> and I say don't ever do gotcha. that if all you right. if you don't need to. There's cool. plenty of other ways to purchase without. No, there, cool, there cool. All right, how about this question? How do I turn down a motivated seller that I just flat out cannot buy their property? Like maybe they owe. I don't. I think the the original thought was like they owe 
you know, they owe far more than it's worth or even if they sold it for zero dollars, it would cost more to demo the thing. And you know what I mean? Like if you just flat out cannot buy a property, how do you turn down a motivated seller? Well, with the mindset that we talked about 10, 10, 10 or so minutes ago where you're an educator, I want to let sellers know on the first phone call what, what type of buyers they can expect, what they can sell their home for, how they can sell, how we can help. Um, and over the first phone call, if there's something that that turns me off of this home, I don't like it, I'm very clear and upfront. Not, not only do I s- express why I wouldn't be interested in that and that it doesn't fit my criteria, my model for investing, but I want to help them you know, I, I want to at least at least point them in the right direction of solving their problem. I mean, they're they're a person. They should, they, you know. I don't want anything bad to come of them. If they can sell it, I want them to sell it. So I try to educate them how to do so, even if I can't do it. And I flat out tell them that that's because of X, Y, and Z. Okay, I'm just not interested. Right. Yeah, on. you know, there was there that was an interesting question because it happened to me a few weeks ago where I went and looked at a property where the lady. She wanted like 15000 for this ugly house. I mean, it was really, really just terrible house. I went and looked at it. I mean, it was beyond. There's very few houses that are beyond repair. This one was far beyond repair. So I, she wanted 15000 The lot itself was worth maybe ten, but it would cost fifteen twenty to demo it. So like I had to tell her, I mean, basically, you have no options. <laughs> like, I mean, it was, that was a hard one for me. Like, and I just basically said, you know, I can't do anything with it. Good luck. I hope you can. But. I don't know. It's a hard conversation to have when I just flat out tell somebody that I can't help you. But like you said, if you can give them options, great. There, you know, and, and I may seem a little jaded because over the years I've talked to so many sellers that have been sold a manufactured home in a park or on land even, but in a park, they they paid retail price for it. They bought it from a dealer, sixty, seventy, fifty thousand dollars that you're buying a brand new manufactured home. You know, two thousand, you know, new. And then you go to resell it and you're realizing that the market, people only want to spend a couple thousand dollars. They if they go to a bank, the bank isn't gonna, it's not appraised for that type of money. Buyers don't have that type of money. They're not looking to pay for the next 20 years on a manufactured home. Most buyers. So I talk to so many good people that get fooled into buying brand new manufactured homes. And it's unfortunate because I I do have to be the bearer of realistic news, just like you did, Brandon, when you educated her and let her know that's what the market is looking like. So yeah, it's on, you just have to be the professional and a bit, you know, let them know either way. Nice. Nice. All right. Last question uh, is uh, tools. Do you have any tools or anything like that that you use to help you kind of manage your your uh, investments, your your mobile home investments, or or do you just kind of spreadsheet it? What do you do? I'm old school. Um, I do need. I, I actually am going to be purchasing my first entire mobile home community that has oh, a muscle touch. Uh, thank nice. you. Um, and there's 70 plus lots there, so I wow. do need to. Um, I do need to step up my game into the twenty the twenty first century with regards to management. Um, I have property managers for most of my properties now. The properties I don't, I just use Excel, uh, and that works great for me. And before that, I used a piece of paper and like a notebook that I'm very fond fond of still. So I'm kind of old school. I haven't gotten too much on line yet, at least with regards <laughs> to the management aspect yeah. of this. But, but, fair but I need to. Yeah. Well, I, if I, you have any. Good suggestions. Uh, I'd be open to. Hear. I'm I'm always looking as well. So, yeah, well, yeah. I, but what what I was gonna say is I would love. I mean, like you, you write every week on the Bigger Pockets blog. So hopefully, you know, we can kind of follow your journey as you buy this mobile home park. I'd love to hear more about that because, um, yeah, that's exciting. That's very cool. So 
Congrats on that. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, let, let us move on to the end of the show, the last section, which we call the Famous Four. The Famous Four. These questions we ask everyone. So let's see what you have to say. Number one, what is your favorite real estate book? Favorite real estate book is I'm a big fan of courses. I've purchased a lot of courses, boot camps, blah, 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 over the years. As far as books go that I'm going to a store to buy, uh, I got to say, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's not real estate, I know, but uh, it is definitely, definitely put the real estate mindset in me that I use. And that's of valuing people, caring about people, providing a, va- a value. Okay. That works gotcha. well. That kind of, it, that might be the same as our next one, but what is which, your favorite? Which is your favorite business? Yeah, what's your favorite book, business yeah. book? Would you say that's your favorite business book as well, or do you have another favorite business? Let's say that one. I like, I like that one. Okay. Cool. There you go. Yep. Nice. What do you do for fun, man? I box. I just started boxing. I don't know if he's in my shirt. Oh, nice really? Thing, right? Yeah. Maybe um, I should stop I, giving you uh, giving I, a hard time then. I think at the next Bigger Pockets conference, <laughs> me and John Fedro here should have a boxing match. Uh, by, by the way, Fedro. <laughs> Brandon here is literally like every says this every week to me. I should I should I box somebody. I should ninja fight somebody. I should <laughs> I should like you know backflip and beat up someone. But it has to be know. at the it has to be at the summit. It has to be. You're a little bit aggressive there, Brandon. <laughs> I'm going to change the picture on my punching bag from Josh's face over to Brandon's face now to get oh, to get used to, man, uh, to get prepared really? for this. Really? Okay, so I'm. I'll I'll take my dartboard down of you too, then, John. All right, boxing, boxing, cool. Anything else? Um, I swim a lot and hang out with friends. I like to read a lot and play my piano as well. You play piano? I am learning how to play piano. Let's go, go, jump on the piano. Let's hear. Oh, you know, it's so far. I Uh, I oh, okay. On time, we got to. All right, time to go. All right. Maybe at the bigger pockets next summit. Yeah, maybe you could lead us. All right. Final question. What do you believe sets apart successful real estate investors from those who give up or fail? Oh, without a doubt, the ones that give up and fail. I mean, that, <laughs> that, 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 that is the Captain action. Obvious. Come on. That it t- was that not the I've had plenty of opportunities where I where going to a job would have been the easier way to go. Um well, yeah, okay. So now that I have a tad time to have that question sink in a little, <laughs> I would say a good support structure of uh, people you can go to. I've been fortunate to have to be to, to rub shoulders with some of the um, very very experienced, active people in this business. Um, so it's not just first getting started, or even after maybe one deal or two deals, you're still sort of. Um, uh, you're still sort of living on faith. You haven't really proven to yourself that this can be done on a full-time basis or on a uh, as basis that you would like it in your mind. So really having that support group of active people, people that build that build you up, that are doing this as well, um, that has certainly helped keep me into the business. And I've never once really, really considered ever dropping out. Cool. So I hope, I hope that that helped. Good yeah. answer. I like That's it. Good. That's good. Awesome, man. Well, listen, I definitely covered a lot of... Uh, material here we we certainly appreciate you uh hopping on the show finally and uh so as as we uh, bid you farewell where can people find out more about you you can find me at mobilehomeinvesting.net mobilehomeinvesting.net nice awesome awesome well listen thanks again we we do appreciate it and for those people listening in if you've got any questions for john you can ask them at biggerpockets.com slash show 75 Thanks again, John. Thank you. 
All right, everybody. That was our show with John. I'm going to blow you off once or twice. Fedro, just kidding, John. <laughs> you know I love you. Otherwise, I wouldn't have had you back. Now, John was great. And, uh, you know, we really do appreciate uh, all the all the insight that he shared with us. And, and uh, you know, we, we do want to thank him for his time. Uh, you can also, of course, find him on Bigger Pockets, where he's an active member. Beyond that, Thanks again for listening. Uh, this is 70, uh, 75, uh, show 75, and, and uh, hopefully you've enjoyed it and the previous 74. Um, as, as we always like to tell you, make sure if you're not already active in our community that you join up today at biggerpockets.com and check us out and you know where you can meet a whole lot of other great people like John who are active in the world of real estate. And uh, Beyond that, you know, check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn, G+, and Pinterest. We're on Pinterest. I don't know quite what we do there, but we're on Pinterest as well. But uh, that's it, guys. Thank you so much for supporting us through 75 shows. We appreciate it. And I will very much look forward to uh, talking to you again next week. And uh, hopefully, we'll, we'll make it all the way to 100. This is Josh Dorkin signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom, and the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and bam! Instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.